Have you gone too far to find the middle ground? Did they raise you so high just to pull you back down? Have you been so lost you could never be found? Cause I've been real, I've been fake. Been a sinner, been a saint. I've been right, I've been so, so wrong. Yeah, I've made my mistakes. I don't know what it's like to be you. You don't know what it's like to be me. What if we're all the same in different kinds of ways? Can you, can you relate? We both know what it's like to be hurt. We both know what it's like to feel pain. But I think it's safe to say we're on to better days. Can you, can you relate? Can you Have you ever been left when you should have been loved? Has there ever been a time when you stayed but you should have run? Cause I've been real, I've been fake. Been a sinner, been a saint. I've been right, I've been so, so wrong. Yeah, I've made my mistakes. Now I don't know what it's like to be You don't know what it's like to be me. What if we're all the same in different kinds of ways? Can you, can you relate? We both know what it's like to be hurt. We both know what it's like to feel pain. But I think it's safe to say we're on to like to be you don't know what it's like to be me but by the grace of god we'll see each other's heart can you can you
Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us here at Trinity. Um, we gather here on Sunday mornings to worship. We have been created to worship our Creator. And He is our God, the God of the universe. And it's so important that when we come before our God that we know who He is. And we know who He is from His Word. Amen? Because He has revealed Himself to us. It's as if God has said, here I am, get to know me. And so we read from his word. And so in just a moment, I'd like to do that. As our call into worship this morning, I'd like to read from the Old and then also from the New Testaments as a way to help us in our minds and our hearts uh, come before God with a heart attitude of worship. When Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, he told her that a time was coming and is now, when he was there, that um, people wouldn't have to go worship on a certain mountain, but they'd be able to worship God wherever they are. And Jesus inaugurated that great truth and possibility. And so we do gather in this place, and it is special to do that, um, but we are to be worshipers in spirit and in truth no matter where we are. But I trust that as we begin a new week that we can do that together in a time of worship uh, through song, in just a moment, through the reading of his word, and through a time of prayer and, of course, of fellowship. So um, let me read for you now from Genesis chapter 1. It's verses 1 through 5, as we are reminded not only of who our God is, but who he has done for us. So a selected reading from Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. Our next reading is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. A familiar passage we often read during Christmas time. The prophet says this, a prophecy about the coming Messiah. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence. 
as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore for the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Amen. And our final reading is taken from the New Testament, the Gospel of John. He begins this way, referencing the very beginning of God's story in Genesis. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Amen? Would you stand with me now? As we enter into a time of worship, I'll pray us into worship. The first song that we will sing is new. It's a new song for our congregation. It is simply called, Let There Be Light, our theme for this morning in our worship and in the message from God's word is that Jesus truly is the light of the world. It has great implications and applications for us today, more than 2,000 years later, but Jesus is our light. So if you don't know the song, feel free to stand and listen and worship along and sing as you catch on, but... This first song will be us being reminded and singing back to God that he is the light of the world. Father, thank you for the blessing of our time together. We thank you for the blessing of the reading and the hearing of your holy word. God, you have truly revealed yourself to us, and we are so grateful for it. God, may we get to know you better and know ourselves better this morning, 
even as we come not to receive but to give, to give back to you in worship. God, how wonderful you are and how thankful we are in our hearts and minds together in this place that you have sent light into this dark world. The lightness, the light of this world is Jesus. God, we thank you for that light. We sing about him now. We sing to him now. We sing in honor and praise of him. And we do so, of course, in his mighty name. Amen. Church, let's sing together and worship him. God. 
Oh, Father God, what a privilege it is to worship you. Lord, we echo those words. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would come now, even while we are gathered here together. We look forward to that day that you come back for us, your bride, your church. But until then, until then, Lord Jesus, we want to be found singing those words and proclaiming those truths and singing praises to you. God, thank you for creating us to worship you. And we want to do that, Lord, until you come back. We know that uh, we are to be praising you. And so we continue to do that together. May you continue in our time together, get all the glory and all the honor and praise. We say that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Take a minute to say good morning to somebody next to you. if we can uh, make our way back to our seats. Praise the Lord for great fellowship and a good time of worship. We're grateful for that. Uh, just to remind you that we have an opportunity for an extended time of fellowship after our service today. It is the first Sunday of the month, so welcome everyone to October. And uh, so we have our fellowship barbecue lunch after service today. 
So everyone, of course, is always welcome to stay. Uh, it's a great opportunity to just enjoy some good food and uh, friendship and fellowship. So uh, also a way that you can continue some conversations from earlier this morning or from just right now. Again, everyone is welcome. Uh, this will be our last barbecue of the season, but then going forward, we will have our uh, traditional sort of potluck with different themes, and so you'll get notices about them. But we love to do that on the first uh, Sunday of the month and enjoy some time together. And we also, on the first Sunday of every month, we end our worship service with communion. And so we will, of course, do that together today. And so at the close of our gathering here this morning, we will um, gather around the Lord's table, take the bread and the cup in remembrance of Jesus and his sacrifice on our behalf. And then from there, we move into our time of continued remembrance, but also celebration, because Jesus is no longer on the cross or in the grave. Amen? And so that, of course, calls for much praise and celebration. And so that's a, a big reason of why we do those things together uh, on the same Sunday morning at the beginning of the month. Uh, a few quick announcements um, before we get into God's Word together. Um, our Wednesday evening service that we were having uh, last year has actually been um, sort of postponed. Uh, we're not sure when we'll pick that back up, but uh, myself and Pastor Mike and uh, Pastor Dave, who uh, run that Wednesday uh, service when we recorded our podcast, um, just thought it would be um, better to continue to record our podcast separately. And so we're still going to be doing that and making that available. And so that'll be the link to that is always on our website. So we're going to start recording next week. But the Wednesday evening service uh, will be discontinued, at least for now. And so that means that our prayer gathering will uh, be here on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. as it has been. So we want to continue to be known as a church that prays. And so thank you to all of our, our prayer warriors that are steadfast and coming out on Wednesdays, those that can't make it but are still praying. We thank you for that. Uh, so Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. is our prayer gathering here where we discuss what's going on briefly and take some prayer requests and updates, and then we spend the bulk of our time praying. And so keep that in mind as you look through your weekly schedule that we meet here every Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. for prayer. And if you're not already on our prayer email list, please do that. You can certainly just uh, send an email, a simple email to uh, prayer at trinityallenwood.com. The information's on our website, and that will sign you up so that any prayer requests through the church that come through, you'll receive them so you can pray right along with all of us. And then as those prayers are answered and we get updates, you'll get those too. And it's a wonderful part of being uh, a part of the, the church. And so um, please make note of that. We have our young adults group that is uh, um, meeting. We had about four uh, times together a fellowship. Uh, during the summer, and so we're starting to gather this week in, uh, on Tuesday night, and so it's every other Tuesday, young adults from 18 up to about 30 uh, years of age, and so we gather at 7 o'clock, um, and this Tuesday will be at our house in Brick, um, and uh, we have uh, food, and we have great fellowship, and a time of discipleship, and prayer together, and so good opportunity. So if you know anybody in that age range, even if they don't come to Trinity, that you think would uh, enjoy that, needs to get plugged in somewhere, just let me know. We'll reach out to them and remind them of when the meetings are. But 
It's beginning this Tuesday, and it'll be every other Tuesday at 7 p.m. We have our Angel Tree sign up. We announced that, I believe, last week for the first time. And this is a ministry that we have been partnering with for many years. And uh, it is kind of um, brought to us by Debbie Carver, one of our long time um, ministry and mission partners. And so Angela is the one that is overseeing that for our congregation. And so this is where you sign up to, um, to purchase a new gifts for children and grandchildren whose uh, parents are incarcerated. And it's a, it's a wonderful, very uh, meaningful uh, ministry to be a part of. So you simply sign up and you'll get more details about the cost of the gifts and how many. And then you also have the opportunity to sign up to deliver them. So you can just purchase them. And then there's a, a time later on, either in November or early December, that you bring them here. But you can also sign up to help deliver them and get to meet the children and some of their families. And so it's a, it's a great ministry that we uh, are proud to be a part of, and we look forward to that. So please sign up for that. You can sign up on our website or out in the lobby Sign up to be a part of the Angel Tree Ministry. Um, we have an outreach uh, coming up in uh, the end of October, and so in just a moment we're going to show a video about that. But just want to remind you that the Men's Retreat is coming up in a couple of weeks. That's October 13th to 15th. So men, if you plan on going and you haven't signed up yet, please go to the website and register there. You can put your deposit down so you're guaranteed a room. But we're only a couple weeks away from that, so we're really looking forward to that. It's going to be awesome. We're bringing in a special uh, speaker who's going to talk all about uh, being rewired, what it looks like to, um, uh, to think, right, biblically as, uh, as a man, as we see in Scripture, and what it looks like to process the things that go on in our lives. And so really looking forward to that getaway down the shore at Harvey Cedars. And so men uh, take an opportunity to do that, and uh, in just a couple minutes we'll hear more about the women's retreat. But right now, as our last announcement there, I'd like to, to show this video. And uh, on October 21st, uh, the missions team has set aside that Saturday to go down to Philly to this neighborhood called Kensington. Maybe you have, have heard of it. And there is a ministry there called the Philly Dream Center. And it's a faith-based Christian organization that reaches out with the gospel, uh, the good news of hope, to that area that is so desperate. And so you'll hear a little bit more about it now. So if we can play that video about this upcoming uh, ministry opportunity. and restored. It's a city that really instilled so much greatness into this whole nation, but it's also a city with so much brokenness. The most violent year in our lifetime. Last year, there were about 2,200 shootings and about 499 murders. I believe this year, we're already past 500 murders. It's just heartbreaking to what's happening here in the city. If a person walks down Kensington, you are gonna see third world conditions. You're gonna see needles all over the floor. You see people in very desperate, hopeless situations. God really called us to the city to bring change and to revive what we believe is God-given dreams. And we believe that God-given dreams are awakened when we connect people to Jesus. By connecting them to Jesus, man, a God-given dream is anything that expands the kingdom of God. 
seeing the brokenness throughout the city right out of our home, we said, hey, we got to do something. We uh, set up a partnership with the Dream Center in Los Angeles. And, and right away we said, hey, let, let's bring a Dream Center right here to the city. We saw a city that was a very unorthodox city, and this city needed a very unorthodox church. After about a year of serving out of our home, God moved us to about a 2,500-square-foot facility. And we were there for about 15 months, and then God moved us to about a 4,500-square-foot facility. And today we're sitting in about a 50,000-square-foot facility that we believe it's going to be a beacon of hope and a place where God-given dreams are awakened right here in the birthplace of America. We connected with the priest that's overseeing five parishes in the area. Something that he said was that I believe the Holy Spirit's trying to do something here. So we've been working with the Archdiocese now. It looks like we might be closing very soon on this building. And the next steps are to start renovating and start uh, really building the rooms and the spaces that we need to start bringing hope to the lives here in the city of Philadelphia. This building, it's on a property with four buildings. It has a parking lot. It has a rectory where the priests used to live. It has a convent where the nuns used to live. It has a school and it has a church. And we're so excited to occupy this place to be able to give men and women a place to live. And not only that, but also a school where we could start uh, after school programs and get kids off of the streets and, and just teach them a new way of life. You know, three things we tell people that could really go a long way. It's, it's pray, serve, or give. You know, this is a massive uh, undertaking, and I know that we're going to need a lot of partnership in finances as well, and we need the one-time gifts. We need specialty trades where people could come out and serve and help us build out some of the building, and your partnership will go a long way. You know, all the giveaways are awesome. The toys we give away are fantastic. And the food that we're able to give people um, is amazing. But the greatest gift that people need, it's really Jesus. And this city, it's broken not because of the lack of fathers, not because of the presence of drugs, but because of the lack of God. And we believe that this city could be changed just by bringing God back into the city. And that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do through the buildings, through uh, the outreaches, through the ministry we have. We want to present the gospel to every person that we come in contact with. What he, <clears throat> excuse me, what he said there at the end is so key because <clears throat> that really is our calling, isn't it? Is to bring the gospel to every person that God brings uh, into our path. And so, as you can tell, it will be um, a very unique outreach opportunity for us to partner with this ministry. Um, we go out um, during that day with um, people from the Dream Center. We don't just walk out on our own to the neighborhoods there, but we go out with them and uh, they lead us, they guide us, and we go to do just what he mentioned, to serve, um, to serve people that are in need, to help them to pray, to listen to their stories, and of course, to share the good news of the gospel. And so we have a few spots left. We wanted everybody to know what was going on, but we do have about five or six spots left. So go to our website, please, trinityalwin.com, and sign up. If you're interested, uh, you can also ask uh, Andrew and Elizabeth if you have more questions about it and details of the day. But it's all up on our website. But talk to Andrew afterwards or maybe during the luncheon if you have other questions or if you're interested in going and 
we always talk about these opportunities every month through our missions ministry to step out of your comfort zone. And this would certainly be one of those times, wouldn't it? And so pray about that. If you can't make it, I would ask, please, that you would pray. Pray for that opportunity. Pray as God leads us and that he would use us. And so we're asking for you um, uh, to pray and uh, consider joining us. And so one more uh, item of church life, another important item, and then we'll open God's word together. Claudia, if you would come up and uh, just wanted to share a few words about the women's retreat that is coming up this weekend. So go ahead. Gentlemen, you don't have to pay attention. This is for the ladies. I mean, just for this moment. Later, after I'm done, then please pay attention. Um, (laughs) Just to clarify, yes. Um, Ladies, if you are on the fence, if you have not signed up next weekend, um, the 7th and the 8th, we are having our time together, um, our women's retreat, and it's going to be at our home and we've carved out a really special time to bring our good friend, uh, our family friend, Judy Mills. She's coming in from New York City. She is someone who has ministered to women around the world and uh, just has a heart for discipleship, a heart for women's ministry and for prayer. And it's going to be a real special gift for us. And so if you are on the fence, if you haven't signed up, uh, we do still have room. Um, you can obviously join us for the day, Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Uh, it's going to be a great time, a really precious time. And the theme is Becoming by Beholding. And the idea that as we focus on the Lord, right, we are able to become the women that he created us to be. And that's, you know, as we, as we look around this world, This world is desperate for us to be the women that God created us to be. And lots of times we put ourselves last on the list as women. And, you know, we have things to do for everybody else, right? But this is a time for us to be with our Lord and to be with our sisters to be strengthened. So I invite you to come. I hope you come. It's going to be a really special time. Um, we talk often about um, about being on mission for God. It's perhaps a phrase that you hear often in churches, and I've said it here before. And this morning, I'm going to take a look at what does that mean for us. You know, many of you are familiar with creating a mission statement. Maybe at your job, or maybe in school, you had to create one. That you need to create a mission statement for your organization or even maybe for your family about what it is that you are all about. A mission statement simply says, why do you do what you do? What is your goal in gathering or being, right? And most businesses and organizations have some kind of mission statement, and we have one here at Trinity. It's no different. But uh, a few years ago, when uh, myself and Claudia and a team uh, from here, from Trinity, went to serve alongside the Lathams down in Brazil, we were there, and uh, we noticed that in their living room, they had in big, bold letters up on their wall a big uh, chalkboard. They had written out 
a mission statement for their marriage. Shane and Aaron Latham. So they had a mission statement, not just for their family, but specifically for their marriage. And Clay and I had never seen anybody do that before. We thought it was an incredible idea. We talk about that often and what that looks like. And they had written this and put it up on the wall so that others could see it, but so that they would be reminded on a daily basis why they were called to be married and what that was all about for them. Even God created marriage with a mission in mind because marriage among two believers is supposed to be a picture of the gospel, of sacrificial love, of unconditional love. And we see that, of course, in the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. So God has a mission for his son Jesus. God has a mission for us today. I hope you believe that. And so just like Shane and Aaron Latham have a mission statement that they crafted and created for their marriage, we realize we have a mission statement as a church, but also as individuals, that God calls us to be on mission to follow the mission of Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to take a simple look at this next passage of Matthew and see what Jesus' mission and Jesus' message was and what that means for us. Let me pray for us as we open and read his word together. Father, we thank you. As we read your word once again this morning, would you bless it? God, change us. Renew our minds so that we would be less conformed this world around us, but more conform to you. Thank you for your word and what it's about to show us and tell us and reveal. We thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been going through this series. We took a break for a number of weeks, uh, and so we are back into it. It's Matthew 4, 12 to 17. So it will be up on the screen for you, but if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, it's always good to be able to look at your Bibles or the Bible app on your phone as I read it. But this is Matthew 4, 12 to 17. Again, as we focus on Jesus' mission and Jesus' message and what it means for us today. Matthew 4, 12 to 17. If uh, you remember the context is Jesus, where we had left off a few weeks ago, Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And after that time, the angels came and ministered to him. And then this is where Matthew picks up with the story. And so Matthew then tells us, Now when Jesus heard that John, meaning John the Baptist, had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah, the prophet. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent. 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the word of the Lord for us this morning in our message and our study of the gospel of Matthew, king and kingdom. By way of review, remember that Matthew wrote his gospel to a specific audience. Every letter or book in the Bible has an audience and has a purpose. And so Matthew writes this account of Jesus' life and ministry to a predominantly Jewish believing um, audience. And so this was to churches or groups of Christians who were fairly new to the faith. They were all Jewish, but now believing in Jesus as Messiah. And so he was writing to confirm to them, to help strengthen them and encourage them that, yes, Jesus is the promised king, and yes, he came to bring the promised kingdom. And so that is Matthew's overall theme, and we see that throughout his gospel, this message of Jesus as king and him bringing in and offering the kingdom to God's people of Israel. And and so that's the context for what we're reading in Matthew. So he's already been talking about Jesus' lineage, and uh, we see that um, he has often referred to different prophecies. Matthew has been doing that quite a bit, and he's been showing how Jesus has been fulfilling all of these Old Testament prophecies about the coming king, the coming Messiah. And so this passage is no different because once again, Matthew quotes an Old Testament scripture that is a prophecy about the coming Messiah, the coming Redeemer, the coming King. And so Matthew, again, is building his case and showing his audience that, yes, Jesus is this one. And then the very last verse from our reading today shows what Jesus began to teach. It says, from that time... Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we will unpack that statement as well because it's crucial. We understand why he uses those words, he and John the Baptist and the the early disciples and what that means for us today. So three things that I just want to point out in the remainder of our time together. Jesus fulfills prophecy. There is more fulfillment of prophecy now. Matthew has been saying that all along. And in the passage we just read, you see that he quotes from Isaiah 9. I read that earlier as part of our call to worship. Jesus fulfills prophecy. And here is the, we go back. Yep, there we go. The land of Zebulun. This is the quote from Isaiah. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death upon them, a light has dawned. So he is reminding his readers, Jesus is the light of the world. He is. And he is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Jesus is the Redeemer, the promised one. He has fulfilled so many prophecies already in the rest of his life that we will see an account of as we go through Matthew. Jesus continues to fulfill prophecy from the Old Testament after prophecy. And he does so, and this is so important, 
Jesus does so literally and perfectly. And so therefore, we can be confident that any prophecies in the scriptures that have yet to be fulfilled from our time forward will also then be fulfilled perfectly and literally. Believe that? Because if Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies about him perfectly and literally, then every other prophecy that God gives us in his word, I believe, will also be fulfilled in the same way. That should give us a lot of hope because God is a promise keeper. Amen? There were over 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled every one of them. You can see them in the accounts of the Gospels. And more than 300, if you count any indirect uh, allusions to the coming Messiah. So some estimates, scholars give around five or 600 prophecies about the coming Messiah that Jesus fulfilled. But around 300 direct prophecies about the coming Messiah that Jesus in his life, his teaching, and his ministry fulfilled. You can simply answer, ask this question, what are the chances of that? Right? So again, Matthew continues to refer and reference these prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. You know, almost one-third of the Bible was prophetic when it was written. Think about that. About 30, 33% of all of Scripture when it was written was about something that would happen in the future. So prophecy matters to God, doesn't it? He puts that in there for a reason. And so much of it, I think of all ultimately so we can have faith and trust in him and is a way that he shows us that he is trustworthy, the way that he fulfills all of these prophecies, and that God has a plan for the future. It helps us to make sense of our world and our life and our purpose and our mission, that God has written so much about the future. And still about half of that has already been fulfilled, mostly in Jesus Christ. So Roughly 15% of what we have in the Holy Bible today is still yet unfulfilled uh, prophecy. So, of course, we want to talk about prophecies in the Bible, don't we? Like we are today. Why would we, want to, why would we only want to address 85% of the Bible, right? We are to preach and to, to learn the whole counsel of God. And so, if it matters to God, it should matter to us. So, we, we preach the whole word of God, and especially when it comes to prophecy, we give it its light and attention because it gives us hope and reminds us that God keeps his promises. So therefore, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we have been promised in him eternal life when we put our faith and trust in him, what does then that mean? It means that God will keep his promise. If we are promised eternal life, we will have eternal life. Right? Therefore, we can have hope on this side of heaven and uh, eternally. So we thank God for that. A little bit of background about what we're reading here. Again, as we talk about Jesus fulfilling prophecy, Jesus' ministry begins with John in prison. That's what uh, Matthew was telling us. It said that he left Nazareth, and we see that was because of what Luke accounts in Luke 4. We won't read it, but, you know, it's really good to put all four Gospels together to get sort of the full picture. 
Again, because each gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have sort of a different angle that they are taking and telling the stories, many of them the same, um, about Jesus, right? Nothing contradicting each other, but filling in different details. And so we see in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth. He goes into the temple and he reads from Isaiah, a different portion from Isaiah. And he reads actually in Luke chapter 4, he uh, is given a scroll and he reads these words from Isaiah. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set those who are oppressed free and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. We were singing these words earlier, weren't we? Let there be light. But it says later that Jesus then closed the book and handed the scroll back and said that the reading that he had just read had been fulfilled, that prophetic reading had been fulfilled in his presence. And the people were amazed But then he quickly started to call them out on their unbelief and their legalism. And people's amazement turned to rage, it says in Luke chapter 4. If you remember that story, they tried to kill him, push him off a cliff. But Jesus, of course, miraculously walked through those people and escaped. And so Jesus needed to leave Nazareth. It wasn't time for that to happen. And so Jesus, it says in our passage today, made his way up to... Galilee. He made his way to the city of Capernaum, and Capernaum was a a hub right there on the Sea of Galilee. It was a a big town. It was well known, and that's where Jesus kind of made his headquarters, sort of his home base, his hub for his ministry. And so he had to leave Nazareth because of what Luke tells us, and so he goes to Galilee. And Matthew also takes the opportunity to say that it was the fulfillment of prophecy. Do you see what he says right in verse 14? After he tells us that he went to Capernaum, which is by the sea, the Sea of Galilee, it's also called the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. I'll tell you about that in a moment. But he says this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. See, Matthew's making it very clear, and his readers would have known about this prophecy. And so he talks about that, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Why is that important? Because that was the area where Jesus now set up his ministry. That is where these two tribes of Jacob of Israel, these two tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali, that is where they landed and took up residence after the conquest of the promised land through Joshua. Remember, after Moses Joshua came and led the people of Israel out of the wilderness into the promised land, right? And all the tribes got sort of different parts of the land. And so Zebulun and Naphtali sort of landed in this area. So there was a prophecy way back in Isaiah chapter 9 about light coming to this area that had been dark, now needed the light. So Matthew sees Jesus moving from Nazareth to Capernaum in Galilee, to that same area, and he says, yes, Jesus has brought the light to that area because he is the light of the world, amen? That is what Jesus does, and Matthew is pointing that out for us. So it fulfills prophecy that that land that had seen a great light, when it says in Isaiah 9, the people had seen a great light, right? Darkness was overcome. 
That was that land where Jesus went. See, everything matters in Scripture, and it's all connected, and it all has great meaning. So, therefore, if Jesus is fulfilling prophecy, then we ask this question from our text. What's next? What is his mission? What is he actually doing? It might sound like a a silly question to ask. We know what Jesus was all about. But again, this is the very beginning of his ministry on earth. So he left Nazareth, his hometown. They were running him out of town. He said, no prophet is welcome in his own town anyway. And so he goes to Capernaum. He's fulfilling prophecy, Matthew says, right? But what was his ministry? If he's just starting out, what is he about to say and do? And what was his mission? Well, his mission was to be the Messiah. You know what that word Messiah means? It means anointed. He was the anointed one of God, chosen and sent by God the Father. The Hebrew word is Mashiach, Messiah, the anointed one. The Greek word is Christ. That's why we say Jesus the Christ. It was not his last name. It was a title, right? Understanding who he was, Jesus the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, Jesus the Christ. He is the Redeemer. His mission was to bring peace and salvation to the world. We sang earlier about even so come Lord Jesus. You know when we, when we pray and we sing and we talk about wanting Jesus to come back, he's not coming back as Savior in church. He's coming back as judge. We say Jesus fulfills three different offices given to him, prophet, priest, and king. He came first as a prophet, right, proclaiming the good news and prophesying that the kingdom had come and was at hand and was near if they would accept him as king. So he's prophet. Right now, he is serving in that office of priest because Hebrew says he is our great high priest. He is our one mediator in heaven between us and God the Father. So he was prophet, he is priest, and he will come again as king. The king comes to judge, so that's why now we say, tell others about Jesus. That's why we do things like go to Kensington in Philly to share the good news and the hope with people that need it. But everyone needs to hear about Jesus, don't they? if we truly believe that he is the only hope for this world. So Jesus, we read, was a man on a mission, sent by God to be the Mashiach, the Christ, the Messiah. He had a purpose, and he was intentional about fulfilling it. Do you remember when Jesus performed his first miracle? When he turned water into wine at the wedding of Canaan? Cana, right? The wedding? You remember what he said to his mother Mary? Because Mary came and was like, Jesus, you got to do something because we run out of wine. And back then, that was a huge faux pas if you did that. So they had to have wine flowing for days, about a week for this marriage ceremony and, and, and celebration, right? And it's kind of like when we have our fellowship lunch. There's just so much food. Like, we'd be here all week, and we just eat and celebrate, right? And so uh, Mary comes to Jesus and says, can you please do something? What did he tell her first? He said, it's not the right time. See, with God, there is a timing of things, and Jesus will return when God says it's time, but we see that Jesus had a mission, and he was telling his mother, it's not part, it's part of my mission, but it's not the right time, you see. 
So yes, of course, he does that anyway, and God ultimately works out his will. But the point I'm making there is that Jesus came with a purpose and a mission, and he was so intentional that he would even tell his own mother, not the right time yet. Jesus was intentional about fulfilling his father's will. Didn't he often go to a quiet place to get away from the crowds, to get away from the disciples and pray and spend time with the father? Why? So he could stay on mission, so he could stay connected with God, to be reminded through all the distractions, right, all the temptations of life, the everyday living, that he would be able to reconnect with God and be reminded, yes, thank you, this is my mission, this is what I will do. I will stay on mission. Church, we need to do that also. We can be so distracted by everything the world has to offer, good, bad, and ugly, right? We are, be reminded, like the passage says this morning, Jesus is on mission, it is our mission. God has a plan and purpose. He had one for Jesus, he has one for us. Even Jesus, when he was a boy in Luke chapter two, what does he say to his parents when they're looking for him, right? We've been there, parents. Your child is, is out of your, 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 your reach and out of your sight for just a moment, and they're freaking out. And he comes and says, I had to be about my father's business, even as a young boy. Jesus was intentional because he was on mission. At the end of his life on earth, what did Jesus do that was intentional? Well, everything, but he went into Jerusalem the last week of his life, going back into Jerusalem, we call the Passion Week, right? Between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, and he knows, of course, what's going to happen, but he intentionally goes there because now it was the right time for people to accept him as king and usher him in and recognize him as the king, and he intentionally goes to Jerusalem knowing that that's where he would be killed. Jesus Christ's mission on earth was simply to fulfill God's plan of saving the lost. Jesus Christ's mission on earth was to fulfill God's plan of saving the lost. Jesus says it this way in Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I don't think he could have gotten any clearer than that. Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to bring light to the world. We read it earlier. We were singing about it. Sin brought darkness into the world. He, Spiritually speaking, he forgives sin, Jesus does, and he overcomes the darkness. Listen to these words. I read them earlier in the beginning of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. All things came into being through him. Later on, it says that he was the light of men. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness cannot overcome the light. Jesus is the light of the world. If we recognize that we live in a world full of darkness, people that are blind, Jesus said he came to seek and save those who were lost. He came to bring light into the world, for he is the true light. And he came to set the captives free and recovery of sight to the blinds. He's talking about, yes, he did that physically and he healed, but spiritually he came to bring sight to those who are blinded by the darkness of sin. He came to reconcile the word, 
world to himself and defeat the enemy, Satan, who had usurped authority and rule over this world all the way back in the story of the Garden of Eden. Remember that? Of Adam and Eve. They were considered what we call the theocratic administrators, meaning God had created Adam and Eve, and he said, take care of this world, have dominion over it. It is yours to rule over on my behalf. But Satan came and tempted them, and they gave in, and so Satan now is called the God of this age, right? The prince in power of the air. He has dominion over this world as God allows, because God is always ultimately sovereign. But he took that away from Adam and Eve. It was intended for them. So one day that will be taken away from Satan and given to its rightful owner, who is Jesus Christ the King, as he comes to set up his kingdom to be God's representative on this earth as it was meant to be with Adam and Eve. So we see God bringing all things together. So if that was his mission, if he fulfilled prophecy, if his mission was to seek and save the lost, what was his message? We'll close with this. He simply says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. See, what he was saying is this, and it's important we understand this distinction He, Jesus being the king, the promised king, had arrived. So therefore, since he was in their midst, in their presence, the kingdom was also about to be offered. Like he was coming to offer the kingdom by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning it is here if you want it. Because I'm the king, the king is here. If you accept me as king you receive the kingdom. You see that? So the condition was repent. For the nation of Israel, the condition was repent. Repent simply means change your mind. That's important. Repent doesn't mean stop doing one thing to do another, but more specifically, biblically, that word repent or repentance means to change your mind. Ultimately, it's about changing your mind about Jesus. He isn't the Messiah. Yes, he is. You have changed your mind. So he's calling the people of Israel to repent, to change their mind about who the king is, that it is Jesus, and to change their mind about how you get into the kingdom because they also had an understanding that it took works. It took actions to get into the kingdom. You're following the letter of the law, just like the Pharisees said, and you're going to be a good person. You get into the kingdom. Does that sound familiar? you were to ask somebody, ask your friend who's not yet a believer, how do you get into heaven? By being a good person, by doing good things. See, the, the people of Israel, the Jewish people had the same mindset. And so Jesus was saying, repent, repent of that and realize God's heart behind the covenant he had made with you, people of Israel. The covenant was that you would not only be circumcised outwardly as a sign of the covenant, but that it would be a covenant of the heart. And we often miss that. We think about circumcision among the Jewish people as an outward sign of the covenant, the promise God made with them, and that's true. But see, God also in the Old Testament, not just the New, he expected it to be in their hearts, not just the physical outward sign. And so the, 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 the nation of Israel of, Jewish, uh, of Jesus' day were doing the same thing. It was all about outward appearances. Remember, what he called the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs. On the outside, it looks great. You're doing all these good things. 
But on the inside, spiritually, you're dead because it's about the heart. In, uh, briefly in Deuteronomy 10, it says, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, familiar words, to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, statutes which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, the Lord, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and its highest heavens and earth and all that's in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples as it is today. So, in light of all that, because of the promise, God says, circumcise your heart. This is Deuteronomy 10. And stiffen your neck no longer. So even though there was an outward sign, even at birth of the physical circumcision, it was to be a circumcision of the heart. He says it again in Jeremiah 4, Break up your fallowed ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. See, it was to always be a matter of the heart. So this proclamation of Jesus for repentance to enter into the kingdom is for the people of Israel at that time. There is a distinction between that and the gospel message, right? There's a lot more to go into there. We don't have time for that. But as you read through the gospels, especially in Matthew, you'll see that there is this change because he sends, so it's John and Jesus saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He sends the disciples out the first time to bring that message. And then the 70, and Luke mentions 70 disciples. He sends them out in pairs, right? And he sends them out, bringing this message to the, the Jew first, remember, and then to the Gentile. And so the message is to Israel, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is offering them the kingdom that they had so long awaited. They got it promised. Only if they would accept him. But of course, we know what happens. They reject him as their king. So then Jesus, of course, is teaching his disciples. And he says to them, at the end of his earthly ministry, a little while later, go out in all the world and make disciples, teaching them everything I've taught you. What does he say in John chapter 3? 3, 16, we all know it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him will not die but have everlasting life. That's the gospel we know today. During this church age, for Jew and Gentile, for everyone, that gospel message, to believe, simply believe in the Lord Jesus. That whole context is important in John 3. We know John 3, 16. John 14 and 15, right before it, say, just, this is Jesus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And he goes on after John 3, 16. He says in verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. There's that theme about light again. But people loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly uh, seen that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. 
It says, for it is by grace that we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves, not of works that no one can boast. So church, salvation, this is important, salvation has always been by faith, Old Testament and New Testament, before Jesus walked this earth, and then of course after. It's always by faith. Remember what it says in Genesis 15 about, about Abraham. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham had faith. He didn't know the name of Jesus, but he knew God promised the Messiah, a Redeemer, so God trusted him. He had faith. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. Today, it's the same thing. We are saved by grace through faith. It is simply receiving that gift by our faith and trusting in Jesus. So that is the true gospel that we preach today, isn't it? We are saved by grace through faith. It is simply believing this, that Jesus is who he says he is, the very Son of God, Messiah, and that he did what he said he was coming to do, his mission, right? To die on the cross and come back to life to defeat death and sin, and he did that for you and for me. If we believe that he is who he says he is, and we believe that he did what he said he was going to do, and he did it for us, the Bible says by believing that, we are saved. Now, what does that mean for us? It means simply this, as we close, that we are to now reflect his light. So we are called to be lights in this dark world. It's not our own light. It's the light of Jesus, because he is the light of the world but we are to reflect his light. I leave you with this. John, 1 John 1, 5 to 7. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. Remember, this is Jesus' message. It's now for us that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, fellowship, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is our life as Christians, as believers with him. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then we have that fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He's talking about the Christians. He's saying, you have this relationship with God now. You're saved and promised eternal life. Don't you want to walk with him and not walk in darkness any longer? So he's saying, live out your new faith. Live it out as children of light. Church, that is what we are called to do to be ambassadors of hope because this world is full of darkness and people are desperate for light, desperate to see. Jesus' mission is now our mission. Jesus' message is now the message we take to the world. We are saved by grace through faith, which means he did it all. Amen? We conclude our time in what we call communion. And this is when we take the bread and we take the cup, remembering what Jesus did for us. We see this morning that Jesus had a mission, and it was to seek and to save the lost. How did he save us? By going to the cross, dying the death that was meant for us, taking upon himself all of our sin and shame and guilt. And three days later, coming back to life just as he prophesied he would, which means that God accepts his sacrifice and that he defeats Satan, he defeats sin and death. And all we simply need to do is put our faith and trust in him.
See, this is one of those things Jesus called us to do as the church. He said, do this in remembrance of me, and that's what we're about to do. So when you hear the music play, I just encourage you, take a few moments between you and your God. Reflect on that message of God's grace and simply what he did in your place and what that means to you. How you are living out your life for him. Are you reflecting the light of Jesus in this world that so desperately needs it? So listen to the music. Take a few moments to reflect. When you are ready, and take your time. When you are ready, you can stand up and either come forward to the front or to the back side there. Take a piece of the bread and the cup, return to your seat. When we're all seated again, I'll close us with the taking of the bread and the cup together. So let's look to the Lord. the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said these words, this is my body, which is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat together, remembrance of Jesus. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So until he comes, we continue to do this in his name. Let's drink together in remembrance of Jesus Why don't we stand together and close by singing a song, that wonderful grace of Jesus that saves us all.
Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Well, let's close in prayer. We thank you for your grace that is greater than all our sin. God, may we remember that simple gospel message. And Lord God, we want to enjoy this time of continued fellowship and food together. Would you bless them both? And when we leave here later, God, may we remember that we have a mission and we have a message. No matter what goes on in the world around us, Father, we know that those two things do not change because you do not change and our Lord Jesus does not change. So help us remember that, God, may we be people who are on mission together and that is to bring hope into this world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You get all the glory until you come back. We remain on this mission together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Give the team a few minutes to bring the food out, and then we'll enjoy some great food and fellowship together.
risen, he is risen, he's alive.